0: Hey, this is Jill Officer, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight.
1: Let's hop right into things here, Jill. Uh, What drew you to curling more than any other sport? Because you were involved in a lot of different sports when you were younger, like your dad being a hockey coach, your mom a sports enthusiast, Obviously, they were putting you into like soccer, figure skating, uh, baton twirling. So what made curling stand out for you?
0: You know, that's a really good question that I've been asked a number of times, and I'm not sure that I have a great answer for it. As you mentioned, my dad was a hockey coach, very involved in in hockey, and my mom uh, was a coordinator of a junior curling league. So I was always hanging around the hockey rink or the curling rink. But for whatever reason, I didn't end up on hockey skates. I ended up on figure skates and I got all my badges there. And I, like you said, I did baton. I played soccer. My parents just put me in a whole bunch of different things, which I am a real believer of and, you know, loved that I got to experience all those different things. But for whatever reason, I just had maybe a little more natural ability for for curling or something. And I think with the curling too is like when I was younger, my mom put me into like bond spiels with my friends and so i got to hang out with my friends outside of school and then even as i got into like you know 14 15 16 17 you know i was playing in like mixed bond spiels on the weekend and i got to hang out with my friends so it was just i think a combination of a little bit of natural ability and just that i had friends who also curled and it kind of went from there i
1: understand that because listen if someone said brian You would love bowling when I was six or seven. I'd be saying, you're a liar. They tell me it's cool. I'd be like, now I know you're lying. Um, Because I remember back when I was a little bit younger, I was actually in basketball. I wasn't into hockey so much. I think I just started hockey. And we were in a basketball tournament. And I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. To be honest with you, I was probably getting like five minutes. But in bowling, we were having this like winter festival And we actually got to bowl with the Paralympics. And it was like a cross path. Uh, I believe it was like same time as our game. And I think it was like basketball semifinals or we were hosting a tournament in our own gym. And I remember telling our coach, listen, I've got a chance here at bowling to bowl with some of the Paralympic bowlers. So I'm going to go to that. And I remember one guy on our team uh, in particular a lot of them were kind of like what are you doing like we're in a basketball tournament we got a chance at a gold medal and you want to go out and play bowling and i was like listen steven you're getting 20 plus points in this game i am warming the bench for you basically when you come off so i was like yeah i'm done i'm going there uh, i still like participated in the basketball games after but bowling just felt more up my alley. Exactly. Heart.
0: And it's kind of what your personal experience and passion is. And if you, you know, I I especially realized when I retired from curling how much of my community, my personal community And how much of a community curling is. So it would be the same for you with bowling is that you probably developed a community and that was your connection to a community of people. And so that's where you're going to go is where you feel like you contribute. Right. And that's how I felt. It was like I felt like I contributed and I felt like I had a connection to it. So I stayed there for a while.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Imagine if you went into like the police academy. That would be confusing. Right. Right. Hello, officer. Officer.
0: People still confuse, like people still confuse my last name with me being in some <laughs> type of law enforcement.
1: <laughs> I mean, it could work in your favor in some cases. Now, I know in this hour, uh, or close to this hour, as much time as we got, uh, we're going to talk about your career and other interests. But I got to ask you, uh, you know, being from Manitoba, uh, do you know a Jennifer Jones? <laughs> kind of know her yeah like you know vaguely uh we went to like a curling party years ago and i've never heard of her or seen of her since i'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding uh i believe you've been friends or so since the age of 15 like i know people that long but we're not even that close or have the success that you have but that being said have there ever been moments where you kind of had to either butt heads or like have a sitting out and be like actually i think we should do this shot No, I think we should go this way. And then you're like, "Okay, well, you know, we both have our own input here.
0: Of course. I mean, you know, that's part of being a team. And it wasn't just always between me and Jennifer. Right. I (laughs) spent a lot of time together with your teammates and with curling being such a small group of people. It you can't necessarily get away And, you know, it's not like a hockey team traveling together where it's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with those two people anymore. I'm going to go hang out with the I need a break from them. I'm going to go hang out with them. It's like we got four people that are together all the time. Right. So, yeah. And then, we, you know, you become like siblings. So, of course, you kind of butt heads here and there. But I also really believe that the differences that Jennifer and I had and the different sort of views and ends of the spectrum, because in a lot of ways, we're. In A lot of ways were similar and in a lot of ways were quite opposite. But I really feel like that was a contribution to the success that we ended up having was that we had those differing views and perspectives that opened each other's eyes to another way of looking at things, whether it was a shot or whether it was about how we should plan our season or and anything. Right. So I, I think that that was a big part of our success was because of that.
1: And listen, you've been very successful, like the Olympics in 2014, six Scotties, two Worlds. I believe from 2005 to 2018, obviously, you know, we're going to cross off the Olympic year. Uh, You only missed getting a gold, silver or bronze in the Scotties once. Like I said, we're knocking off the Olympic year. Uh, You go undefeated at the Olympics, undefeated at the 2018 Worlds. And some people would say, well, duh, you should. You're pro-athletes. But like, listen, as someone like like a keyboard warrior would do, they talk a lot, but then when it comes to doing it, then they realize how hard it is. It's not easy. And to those who think it is, go out and try it. I mean, even Brad Gushu, keeping Newfoundland reference here, and Carrie Enerson both successful on their own teams they struggled in the doubles but like they were down at 3 at one point but they fought back to make the tournament interesting but like even though they had individual success it doesn't always translate into i guess double success or group success like in their own groups maybe but when you're trying to combine people you don't know how that's going to turn out so obviously like when you look back at that Uh, You got to think like, wow, we went undefeated twice at one point. Like, that's got to be kind of cool.
0: You know, I I remember going into the Olympics particularly, and I think we played three out of three of the top teams in our first four games. So we, we were just looking to, like, go two and one in our first three games because of who we were playing at the Olympics. I remember thinking that. And and so for us to come out of there at three and o, at three and zero in that beginning of the week was a, was a really big deal. But I think going back, it was like we didn't we when we had early success, even like winning the Scotties in like two thousand five, and we always found we always went through the hard way, like. We never, we never found an easy way to win those Scotties. So it actually took us a long time to learn how to put ourselves in a better position at the end of the week that we weren't scrounging and grinding just to get to the end of the week. We were actually putting ourselves in a position maybe by midweek to, you know, be there at the end of the week. So it actually took us a long time to sort of figure out how to do that. And I think going undefeated at the Olympics and then undefeated in the worlds, I think that was just a little bit of a culmination of, of that experience to be able to do that. And I, you know, I'm really proud of, of that, but you certainly never go into either one of those events saying, let's go undefeated. Like, I mean, you're playing against the best teams in the world. Like, you know, when you think about playing, Anna Hasselberg or Eve Muirhead in those, in those events. And it's just like, they very easily can lose to, and, and you know what? And, uh, and we've talked about this before, or people have talked about this before. A lot of the nations get up to play against Canada. And so we're often playing the teams at their best. And so, you know, Latvia comes along and they want to beat Canada because it'll look good on their resume for the week. And, you know, they, so they beat Canada. And so, like to go through those events undefeated is, is, you know, like I said, something to be very proud of. But you certainly don't go into those events uh, trying to do that because it's really hard. Yeah. I,
1: I like what you said there, you know, get up for Canada, because it reminds me of like the 2002 Olympics when a reporter asked uh, Wayne Gretzky something along the lines of like, you know, they're after losing, I think, to Sweden and. I don't know how many games, if they were a lot, how many games they lost, or if that was their first loss. But people thought they were going to go undefeated. And the reporter asked uh, Gretzky, you know, like something along the lines of like, are you mad or are you upset or are you hot? I think. And he's like, yeah, I'm hot. I was about to say, damn right, I'm hot. But I think he just said like, yeah, I'm hot because you know they were supposed to come in and basically be the best team in the world, and here they were struggling in this tournament. Uh, but I think to go off your point. It's good to find that adversity early, whether it be in a season, in your career, uh, because then you can kind of build off it. Like, you know, you face the struggles early. Um, You know, when you were saying that you won in 2005 here in Newfoundland and never if you never faced it, like you kind of went undefeated. But if you never faced it before that, uh, like then what do you do when you get success? Like if everything was just up, 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 up. And you never faced a down when you faced a down later on in your career, you'd kind of be like, all right, why, yeah, why do we yeah, do yeah, this? Yeah, for
0: sure. And, and it's like, you know, like you referenced hockey and it's the same thing, like teams get up to play against Canada. And if you're not prepared as the team Canada going into that event, whether it's hockey or whether it's curling, if you're not prepared to have those teams come and play that well against you, or you're not aware that that's, what's going to happen or not prepared for it, then it's going to backfire on you. And, and that's what I kind of thought happened. And maybe it was the 2002 games with the hockey team, or maybe it was the 06 games where they showed up three days before the game started expecting to, you know, d- expecting because they were team Canada to do really yeah. well and they didn't. Yeah. And so it's just like, you, you can't sort of take it for granted because when you put that, you know, that team Canada in those positions of the Olympics or world championships, In hockey or curling, there needs to be an awareness that you need to be prepared for that. I want to
1: ask you now that you're in the broadcast side of things, you have a degree in communications from Red River. So, like, this was obviously something you were interested in, but, you know, being a former player, are there times like you're looking at a certain person's shot or how the game is presented and you're thinking like, you know, that's not how I would take that shot or giving your own kind of insight Like this is how I would take this shot um, because it's, you know, you're getting a former player's analysis here.
0: Yeah. You know, like me, I watch curling on TV all the time, but I definitely think that when you're sitting in the booth, you, you're taking a different approach. You're taking a perspective on it because you're trying to give the viewers a perspective as if you were out there almost. And so I do find that I pay a little bit more attention to the games and certain things that teams are doing or not doing than if I'm just watching as a viewer. And so, yeah, I, I would maybe like tend to notice things that, you know, maybe I wouldn't notice if I was just a viewer uh, or not just a viewer, but if I was just watching, if I was watching yeah. fan, and then when you're bantering back and forth with the people in the booth too, then you know, there's different conversation going on that maybe you wouldn't have if you were just watching as a fan. So it's a little bit different perspective, and it's not, uh, you know, it, it's taken some time to adjust to it. Like as much as you think, oh great, I get to sit in a booth and talk curling, of oh, suddenly you're part of, you're part of a different kind of team that has its own dynamics and trying not to speak over one another, trying not to just repeat what someone else has said trying to pay attention to different aspects of what's going on in the ice so that you can analyze it and speak about it. So it's not, it's, you know, there's a bit of a transition period there trying to, and, and, you know, like I haven't perfected it by any means, you know, I enjoy it, but it's got its own challenges.
1: Yeah. Like I know for myself, like I really thought once I graduated from sports journalism, communications did radio broadcasting I would be in broadcasting doing play-by-play or hosting. Like, I I love that. Like, I have the background, but uh, networks tend to hire, like, ex-players, uh, I guess for, like, the name value. But I still think you can get the best of both worlds if you hire a combo. Like, a person knowing the sport, being in situations, you know, play the sport, yes, because then you can kind of analyze the player's mindset. But then someone who knows how to present it on TV, like – you know kind of like the history a little bit of the sport or the background because obviously they're interested in it so they've studied it or looked up the whole history of it because i guess as a player you wouldn't know like oh well this is what happened back in 2015 or this is a similar shot to this person's face because you probably were too busy focused on playing the game
0: yeah and that yeah that's definitely something that i've thought about or noticed is just because i do have a journalism background and i did work on tv for a period of time I, I think that sometimes, you know the play by play will always have all the correct data, right? Yeah. The color, they can kind of get away with stuff, right? Yeah. They can kind of say things that maybe aren't 100% true, or they might pronounce the name, not the person's name, not quite correctly. And, it's, and it doesn't seem like a big deal to them necessarily. But for me, it was like it was if you didn't have someone's name pronounced correctly, or or spelled correctly, it was automatic fail, right? So, you know, there's just things like that, where I came in with that background knowledge that maybe wasn't as prominent for some people, not just in the booth, but like in general, you know, and so I think it's good to have that background as well. Otherwise, it's probably a pretty steep learning curve.
1: So like when did you realize you had a passion or interest for broadcasting? Was it before, during, or like after your curling career?
0: I guess it was always kind of there because I I graduated my journalism program like 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked in TV for a few years, and, and then we won the Scotties in 2005, and it was just too hard to sort of juggle full time. So I did some freelance work on and off for a while. So I, I always kind of had that as a backup. Right. So when I knew that my my career was coming to an end and I was going to step away or at least take a break, you know, I made some connections with uh, people at networks and, and stuff, thinking that that was potentially something that I wanted to do. And then, you know, I started doing it. And while I do enjoy it and I, you know, I would love to continue to do it for a period of time, it's not necessarily something that I see myself doing for the next 15 years Right, which is why I actually have gone back to university. I'm taking kinesiology because I need to get a kinesiology degree in order to do uh, a master's in mental performance for sport. So that's oh. that's sort of where I'm headed. But in the meantime, I love doing the the CBC work. It gives me a chance to watch curling with a really close eye and uh, to keep track of what's happening, what's changing in the game, and you know, what's happening with sweeping and sweeping techniques and things like that. So I love being around the game. I love sitting in the booth and talking about curling. I just don't see myself doing it for the next 15 or 20 years, which is why I've made this other plan to do some mental performance. So I'd love to be able to continue to do some of the commentary, you know, in the next five years or so, and then see where it goes.
1: So like, what can you do with that? Like, is there subdivisions of interest? I know I like have some friends at MUN, so Memorial University down here in Newfoundland, uh, that did, I believe, sort of what you were doing, maybe a little bit different. But I never really dive further into the conversation than just the surface. So if you don't mind... Like what other areas or what exactly are you doing per se?
0: There's certainly different aspects that you can focus on within. And I'm only going into my second year, so I haven't really narrowed my focus too much at this This, point. This is
1: your rookie. This is like your sophomore year.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's there's you could take the athletic therapy avenue where you would be an athletic therapist or 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 go on to pursue physiotherapy. Uh, There's more of the physical education, like being a phys ed teacher sort of avenue. I'm just sort of looking to get my general kinesiology degree at this point, but I'm certainly maybe focusing some of my classes more on psychology, any sort of classes that might contribute to me being able to provide or become a mental performance consultant. I certainly know that I can't just do that with a kinesiology degree and that that's why my plan is to continue on to get uh, to do a master's program that's about 18 months long uh, to then be a mental performance consultant at that point.
1: So that's like another way to stay in curling in another role, right? Like if Jennifer or any other team came to you and you met all the criteria to take on this role, uh, you'd be all in? 100%.
0: That's like, you know, after a lot of discussion with my own sports psychologist over the last few years, uh, the discussion sort of evolved to a point where I realized that I enjoy connecting with athletes and I enjoy helping athletes. I enjoy sharing my experience and lessons with other athletes for them to improve and get better. But I've always felt that the mental side of sport is yeah. so important and sometimes gets overlooked. It kind of depends on the teams or the athletes and that there's more to it than just the mental side of it on the ice. Like it, it's a, the mental side of life, basically. It's like the the holistic view. And so I have just over time realized that I enjoy doing that and I, I enjoy having those you know, connected, deep conversations with athletes and sharing my experience with the hopes that they will learn something from all of my experience. You also
1: have a niece in Curling. Has she ever come to you for advice or support? Because, I mean, you have the experience and the success, so it kind of makes sense to, you know, call, call you up and be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm actually blanking on her name right now, but, like, has she ever called up, you know, Aunt Jill? For any advice?
0: No, I. You know what? She's always she's uh, Kristen McCush plays with uh, Team Tracy Flurry, and she is such a great kid. Like I, I mean, I call her a kid, but she's twenty eight now. And yeah. no, f- no, listen.
1: A- I'm almost thirty, so if you call that a kid, I, I'm okay with that. Okay I'm with fine. That. Let's go with it.
0: <laughs> uh, but she's such a she's such a good kid, really well rounded. You know, I I'm happy to do anything that I can to help her be the most successful athlete that she can be, and and whatever team she's on, you know, which has been pretty consistent for the last number of years. So I did coach them for a period of time in that season. I just, I couldn't commit to anything long-term because I was sort of in this transition phase from being a competitive athlete to I don't know what I want to do. And then of course the pandemic hit and that just changed a whole bunch of things. And it was a good opportunity for me to start back at school with so much of it being online. That just makes my life a little easier to do it that way. So you know, I, I said to her and her team, anytime you need help, you want to talk, you want to ask about something, I, I'm, I'm here for you. But I'm not like you have to understand that I may have those conversations <laughs> with other teams. I yeah. may, you know,
1: No, I, I get it. No favoritism. It's like a mafia style. It's like you're my niece. I love you. But uh, if someone asks for my help, I'm going to help them, too. I got to look out for myself. (laughs) It's like, like, wait, you're not, you're not loyal to the family. It's like, listen, never said I was loyal to the family. I'll give you some help. I'll give you some help.
0: (laughs) Make it it sound so like I'm, uh, (laughs) Oh, whatever to my needs. But, but I mean, in all all honesty, like it's, it's just that um, my long-term goals didn't necessarily start to fit with me being able to, uh, to have any sort of full commitment to them at this okay. at this time so I just said like I'll, I'll happily come out and work with you on the ice like you want me to come hold the broom like whatever I can whatever I can help you with but yeah. you know like just understand that I'm also you know trying to do some consultation work with other teams through like next gen program or whatever so you know and that's fine she does still you know we talk about curling and yeah and- like I
1: like I like that metaphor because I can just imagine if you just said like if I don't know just say if you had like when Sidney Crosby has a kid and like you've got Sidney Crosby in the room and like just say he's like 17 or 16 and like he's like dad I want you to come out on the ice but like you just stand there and you just give me passes it's like you realize you have Sidney Crosby out on the ice and you're not going to ask him like hey how can I improve my game or how is this like now nah, just you stand there you feed me and my buddies pucks and we're just going to fire him into an open net it's like yeah. Good job. Way she to have Sydney. On.
0: Yeah. No, my niece definitely, uh, she doesn't expect that. Or like, you know, <laughs> they, they, uh, they appreciate my, and value my input. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I want to ask you, of course, because now I'm in Newfoundland. We mentioned this earlier about 2005, winning gold in 2005 down here. Uh, now other places, obviously won too, but Newfoundland, I'm sure, because Brad Goose, you can attest to it too as well. I'm sure he's had, a fair time in his hometown winning, but like screeched in. Were you ever screeched in? What was your mindset of it? Because listen, between you and me and and everyone that's listened to the Laura Walker interview, Laura Walker was like, I did not like screeching in, did not like it. I did it. And I was like, you know what? Fair. She's honest to us. She's not coming on here and saying, you know what? It was great. I do it again because someone's going to come to Newfoundland and say, I heard you on interview. You said you loved it. And then she's like, actually I didn't. Then you're Then you're called a fraud. At least she's telling people. <laughs> I've done it. Listen, I love you newfies. Does anybody
0: ever say that they love it?
1: I mean, I feel like I feel like if you ask Brad, Brad's gonna be like, dude, I get screeched in all the time. I'd be like, No, you don't, Brad. We yeah. are Newfoundlanders. We don't have to. You, you choose don't
0: have to, to get screeched in. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think I, I can think of two or three times actually that that we're sort of screeched in. Uh, you know, you come there for a curling event and they they sort of <laughs> coordinated it, make it make it happen and, and whatever. So I love the tradition of it. I love get, the idea of it. There I love, it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that I can say that I've been screeched in more than once in okay. in Finland. But you know the whole process of it—the screech, the cod. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of with Laura on that.
1: Yeah, you know what? It is a bit much. I feel people like the screech part, the reciting the passage is probably fun because like you're looking at me like, what? What are you even saying here? but I think the cod kissing is a little bit fishy, a little bit fishy. I get it. Uh, I want to ask you a bit of a scenario style question here, or like a what if question. Uh, I know we chatted prior to this interview on the success you had in 2014 and Sochi and the worlds, but like 2010, it was right here in Canada, Vancouver. You mentioned your team. Just it, you weren't hitting your stride. Um, or you weren't getting in the groove. But say like 2014 hasn't happened yet. Uh it's 2010. Like how bummed were you that you didn't get to rep Canada at home?
0: Yeah, I remember feeling quite devastated actually. It, it was a tough one to swallow because it was our it was our second time playing in the Olympic trials. With it being in Vancouver, it was such a huge opportunity and we it was our also our second time being a favorite. Well, the first trials in 2005, we had just won the Scotties. And then in the trials in 2009, we were two time defending Scotties champs and we had won the Worlds in 2008. So we were favorites going in. And both of those Olympic trials, I don't even know if we had a sniff of the playoffs by midweek. Like it just was not it just didn't happen wasn't meant to be or something I don't know so I remember after Vancouver particularly that I don't know it was just really tough to swallow I think because I just didn't know where we were at I didn't know where I was at in terms of how much longer I was going to continue to play like I, there was just a lot of question in my mind so I just I just didn't like it so it was really hard to take at the time and then ultimately we decided to make a team change and I felt that you know I owed it to myself to continue to play at that time to see if things were different, if things were better or if things changed or whatever. And obviously we went on to, to win the Olympics in, in 2014. So it worked out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting though, how history can be because Vancouver, you got Crosby's Olympic goal. Paul Martin wins it for the men's curling. Uh, But it's like, you know, it's really interesting because now cheryl bernard came in i think she had silver but like her quote obviously gets a lot of recognition because i think laura walker actually mentioned it in hers is like one of her biggest inspirations was cheryl bernard and she almost had the chance to work with cheryl but then the pandemic happened so thank you pandemic but it's like her quote was almost like i didn't lose gold i won silver and that's the way she took it i'm like you can spin that as a pr stunt is more or less saying like listen like it's funny because, like, you don't want to go out there saying, like, crap, I lost gold, but got silver. Like, her approach is more or less, you're not granted silver. You earned it and you won that silver. Like, anyone out there listening to this right now in the future, whenever, might say, like, yeah, okay, Cheryl. Uh, but she has a point. Like, you know, you're, you're devastated in the moment, but years later, you're back Uh, You you look back and you say, look at what we walked away with here in the Olympics. We have an Olympic silver. I know I got like bowling trophies when I was 10. I was probably pissed. We were second best. But now I look back and I'm like, you know what? Like we were second best. And this plaque is nice to have years later.
0: You know what? Like. You know, I think uh, it wasn't Cheryl's book called The Silver Lining or something, right? And I I actually read that book. But, you know, one of the medals that I'm most proud of for us is the silver medal we won at the World Championships in 2015. And part of the reason for that was that that was only a year after we won the Olympics. And it's really hard to play at a high level of anything after the Olympics and you see a lot of athletes actually take time off and depending on the sport that they're in in curling we can't really get away with that unfortunately but you see someone like you know Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer, they took like 2 years off after the Sochi games before they came back right i know there was a couple of losers that did the same there was you know and so in, in curling unfortunately it's just not an opportunity to to do that and that we're kind of right back into it but we literally had 6 months of just all this wonderful stuff, like appearances, doing this, doing that. People wanted us here and wanted us there, and all this stuff. And then we were right back into curling season, traveling on the tour, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so sometimes I look back at that and think, how did we even win the Scotties that year, and then go on to win the the or to uh, go to the Worlds? And you know, we didn't play superb in the gold medal game, but we came on strong at the end and really put some pressure on Switzerland and she, alina pats had to make a draw to butt button to win the world championships in the end right like but the fact that we did that a year after the olympics after like how busy we were and all this stuff, like to me that's mind-boggling yeah like i don't know i actually don't have i don't know if i've ever had that conversation with my team but yeah. i was just you know when i look at that now i'm like wow like we were disappointed in the moment But a year after the Olympics, after everything that happens when you are an Olympic champion, I was like, I I actually not sure how we did that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like people make a big deal in hockey, basketball, football, whatever. When a team goes like back to back or comes back like to try to defend their title. Now, I'm not a big stats guy, but let's pretend I am. (laughs) I believe from like 2005 to 2018, uh, minus the Olympics. You medaled every year beside 2014 Social Olympics and 2017. You've got six gold, three silver, three bronze. Basically, you got hardware for over a decade. You could tell that to somebody and they would say, I'm not, I don't believe you. You're basically telling me from that point for this long stretch, I'm going to come home with a medal, whether it's gold, silver, or bronze. They're like, no, you're ridiculous. But you did. And I think that's crazy because – I like, though, like, again, you have the Bergeron Taves in the background, but I expected a little bit more of, like, this is my whole rack of gold, silver. These are all the trophies, and I'd be like... Those
0: like, are all in a bin around the corner, actually. I <laughs> so, they're
1: the all they're all in my closet. I'm a very humble person. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: I to put up no, like it. That's, that's crazy to me because, of course, you make a big deal of it, but I'm not the only one to think that. Because I believe TSN put you on a poll in twenty nineteen or put out a poll, sorry, in twenty nineteen, and you were voted the greatest female Canadian second, say that three times fast, and sixth greatest in Canadian curly history. That's male and female. Airbud the dog was also included. Uh he wasn't happy with his ranking. <laughs> but like those those obviously looking at all those accomplishments, even with your Scotties, there's only three. Three that have six titles. Two are named Jones, Jennifer (laughs) and Colleen. And then we have yourself. I feel like you should add Jones to the end.
0: Yeah, the officer and the Joneses.
1: Yeah, there you go. I feel like that should be like, if you ever come up with a podcast, that's what you should do. Just have Jennifer on, Colleen, and be like, officer and the Joneses. And people are like, I feel like that's a movie. And they're like, no, you're thinking (laughs) officer and a gentleman. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I mean, that's that's crazy. I I actually thought of it too, because... I want to ask you that because from the media standpoint, like if you were still somewhat involved in media or wanted to get involved in media, do you ever think about doing stuff like that, like a podcast? Or do you think like, whoa, listen, I've got my hands full.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think at this point I've got my hands full. Uh, I might, I, you know, it it crossed my mind a couple of years ago, maybe. um, But I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It was just nothing I ever like was super serious about.
1: Oh, I had some ideas ready. I had like on the rocks, throwing stones, where you talk smack on other curlers. And they're like, uh, I thought we were friends. I thought she was supposed to be nice. It's like, buddy, the podcast is called throwing stones. Like, come on. You yeah. <laughs> think <it's> going to happen? <laughs> but no, I mean, that's all. I, I just thought it was interesting because, yeah, you see a lot of people now getting into the podcast side of things and, and into the media. But I don't know. Now, I could be dead wrong on this, but. I know sometimes when i'm on twitter you'll see someone always tweet out about curling like you know this is what you expect but i would be interested if you had like a former curler uh like yourself jennifer jones carrie when she's done laura whatever but like to get more insight like you don't actually have to talk about curling the whole time but like your experiences like i know you have books for that as well but We're in the mindset where people are not really sitting down and reading books. Like I would rather hear your story in your own voice.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's an option. And then, you know, there is a a now a a curling podcast out there with with Kevin Martin that certainly covers a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. But, you know, and I've done a couple of other podcasts with uh, about coaching and curling and whatever else. Yeah, there's. I guess there's always room for more curling. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to bring this
1: up earlier in talking about, like, you know, the Olympics and silver because you mentioned this uh, earlier about being proud of the silver. I remember back in 2006 watching Brad Gushue win in Torino, and I thought it was like super cool as a Newfoundlander, and thinking like, oh yeah, he'll be back again. But like, you forget that the team he had was relatively young, and now he's like fighting for like this other chance to go back but like it's a different perspective as he's older because like now he has kids he wants them there so they get the experience i guess to see him play and you know just appreciate it more i guess now that you're like a little bit older you've been there and then you're like during that time when you're younger you're probably like oh yeah we'll be back but then as years go on you haven't been back you're kind of like oh my god like if i ever get this chance again i'm really gonna soak it in
0: well yeah and like like Brad said they were fairly young when they went yes. uh which most athletes are but uh like in in most sports but in curling you usually see it, you know uh, some of the older athletes so I was what, like That was, what, seven years ago. So I was like 38, 39 years old, right? Like, Yeah, for them going at that age. And I mean, I guess for a lot of younger athletes, it would certainly be a bit of a different perspective, I think, than going because Jennifer and I had already had uh, kids, like babies. like Isabella was one and my daughter was two when we went to the Olympics. So, you know, you have a little bit different perspective. And we we were trying, trying, trying. We got there. Whereas those guys, it's like they got there. And yeah. then now they've been trying, trying, trying. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just different uh, experience and, and I'm sure they would have a different perspective on it if they got a chance to go back.
1: It's interesting because like you learn some things on the fly here as well. Like I remember when Carrie and Brad were in the mixed doubles and they were qualifying Canada, like, or they qualified Canada because they won and that gave Canada the right to then go to the Olympics for curling. And uh myself and many others on twitter you can go look it back and track it and see but we were wishing carrie and brad like oh best of luck like congratulations and then they had to come out and they basically said listen we qualified canada like we're not representing canada we could if we win a tournament that allows us to but i think carrie and brad kind of want to do it their own way like brad represent Team canada for men's Carrie for women but you know, worst case scenario, they do go to mixed doubles, but like they still have to go through that whole process. And I was like, what? I was like, but you you got us there. You should be representing Canada. <laughs> like what's going on here?
0: Yeah, well, why, well, I mean, really, that's what happened last time in the 2018 games, because, um, you know, Reed Crothers and Joanne Courtney qualified Canada for for the Olympics as a nation. Yeah. But then did not well actually i ended up playing with reed in the uh, olympic trials but it was uh caitlin laws and john morris that ended up going on and winning the gold medal but if it wasn't for reed and joanne qualifying yeah. the nation yeah as a nation they wouldn't have won the gold medal so yeah it's it's interesting but that that's how it works and it's just that in canada we have such depths that we end up playing off for those things whereas yeah. in most of their countries they you know maybe have a small playoff but like they don't have the same depth or yeah, they're yeah. get appointed like you know, like Team Hasselberg, they already know they're going to the Olympics. Team Tierenzoni from Switzerland, they already know they're going to the Olympics. Like, you know, yeah. so it's different in Canada because because of our depth.
1: Yeah, and that's why people want to beat Canada. That's why they, they get up for Canada. They're like, we know you have depth, so this is your best of the best. So we're going to show you that this is our best. Right. So, <laughs> uh, I, I do think another thing that I want to mention that I thought was interesting there was, you know, now when you had the bubble doing curling uh like last year with the pandemic i thought it was a kind of a really eye-opening experience now i know you weren't curling in it but you mentioned curling being a small community and i think it came down to rachel holman versus carrie enerson and like two different events each walked away with the finals win and championship uh you have you know laura and liam there rooting for rachel but it's kind of interesting because it's like yeah we're in a bubble and then carrie wins one rachel wins one. It's like everyone walks away with something here um But I thought it was really cool because I believe Carrie said in her interview that Laura had reached out saying, listen, if you need anything, you know, someone to talk to, someone to bounce things off or just like some kind of support. Like, I'm here for that. I'm here for you. I think it's interesting because, again, she's on Rachel Holman's side hoping that Rachel wins. But at the same point, she's reaching out to Carrie more or less saying, yeah, if you need – help with anything and it goes to show you that yes there's competitiveness in sports but there's also this human element or community side like you were saying because at the end of the day like you're a person with emotions and feelings you're away from family friends like people don't know what's going on beside behind closed doors here and i thought that was like a really cool um thing because you know people don't want to be alone and to know that someone's out there saying listen You're not. Like, I'm here for you. No, we're competitive. No, technically we're on enemy lines here. Uh, But it's just a sport. At the end of the day, we're people. But, like, did you have these kind of feelings in the bubble of, like, separation?
0: Yeah. You know, and I think think it kind of depended on the person as to how uh, well or not well they were able to manage the bubble situation. I was in the bubble for uh, World Curling Television. So I was on the broadcast side. So there was... There was sort of like uh the athlete bubble and then there was like the broadcast bubble and the second time that i went when i went to cover the women's world championships there was a positive case that somehow got into our side of the bubble so they had to shut us down for a period of time until they knew that it hadn't spread very far Uh, so we were actually stuck in our hotel rooms for almost six days and i found that really difficult actually because i think one of my biggest concerns was what if i test positive yeah one how will i end up feeling etc but two not only that then i'm stuck in calgary for another 2 weeks isolated in my hotel room and i can't go home to my family right so uh, from a mental standpoint you know i can see how it was really tough for for a lot of people and then some people probably managed it better than others. So I think it, 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 the bubble was fine for me as long as I could get out of my room. Yeah, so yeah. We, we were able to do laps around our hotel room and stuff. The hardest part was just that when we got stuck in our room for six days, that was then I was like that was the really hard part. So yeah. um, it's it was nice. It's nice to see that uh, the athletes were supporting each other and you know being able to. Uh, You know, have that similar experience because not a lot of other people that would have had that bubble experience, right? So it was nice to see that they were supporting each other.
1: Yeah, because I think it's like an interesting dynamic because you you do have different people coming from different backgrounds in a bubble. Like some people have family that they're going to be able to Skype and communicate with. I believe in Laura's case, and it's like there's no shade thrown here at uh, at her for this, but she was allowed to bring in Liam and her husband, who's also a curler, and that's something um, that kind of keeps you content i think she said they just watched a lot of netflix she did some reading she kept up with some other work that she had to do as well but like for those not with um, partners or families i think it's nice that others could relate to that or reach out because honestly sometimes like a facetime or call is all someone really needs to not feel like they are in a bubble um pun intended but like both literally and figuratively alone in a bubble i know i face time with friends in ottawa to you know just keep up with them and check in and i know we're the generation that doesn't really text doesn't like calls we're a little bit like hey why are you calling me i don't know that like just text me and if you can't text me then why are you bothering me but sometimes it's nice to you know just check in with people get out of that little bit of a comfort zone get outside that bubble a little bit because other people might need the interaction like you know and i think for some of them they do they try their best to like you know do a facetime or skype which is good for them but it's just a small little thing where i hope i come from a broadcast background so i'm kind of used to being around a camera so it's nothing to me it's like i can get up and some of like you look like shit today i'm like all right where's the camera (laughs) like let's look like shit together
0: (laughs) yeah like like i said before it's a community right and uh they can share experiences because we all know what it's like and you know even now with me not competing you know i've still been around the events and stuff so i can still sort of share and and support people so
1: i want to ask you because of course yes you have kids like do you ever think when you were doing curling like i don't know the age group now but like when they were watching you curl, do they look at you as just their mom? Or like when years later, do you think they'll look at me like, damn, like my mom was good. <laughs>
0: uh, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it's evolved a little bit because uh, my daughter was only two when we went to the Olympics. So it just, that didn't,
1: you know. it didn't register. She's just like, just change my diaper. I'm not worried.
0: <laughs> no. And then she would have been like, six and a half ish when we won the worlds in 2018 in North Bay, which she really, she really enjoyed. And when we won, she was like, you know, crying happy tears. Like it was starting to, she was just kind of starting to get into it a little bit yeah. more. And then I think as the time has gone on, she, you know, the, the, you know, we watched a lot of Olympics that was on recently in Tokyo and I, and I think it's started to register a bit, but then, you know, at the same time, I'm I'm just her mom. Like I'm oh, yeah. her mom, and I still, you know, give her shit for things. <laughs>
1: and... <laughs> and I feel mom. like I feel like at times you should like just as a like as a joke to her. It's like, listen, if you're like clean your room, it's like, why do I have to clean my room? Listen, I didn't get these gold medals by not cleaning my room. And then she'd just be like, I don't want to be a curler. You're like, I don't care what you want to do. You have to be a gold in the room to clean your bedroom, and then that's where you develop, and you're still like. I, I, I laugh at it because sometimes when you listen to parents convince their kids to eat broccoli or something and then the, the things that they convince them with, like, I think on Instagram, there was one where it was like, uh, my kid wants to help me clean dishes. I allow him to clean dishes. All right. Years later, <laughs> be like, Why did you let me clean dishes? Like, well, you, uh, you wanted to, I didn't tell you to, but anyways, uh, we're getting close to the end here. And I made a joke at this in the beginning, but if you weren't, you know, successful in curling, Was there a backup plan? You mentioned how, you know, you had an interest in broadcasting and you were involved in other sports. But was there a sport that you were just as good at as curling? Like maybe not to that peak, but you're like, hey, I could go somewhere with this or like, hey, potentially, maybe not to the same success, but you'd, you'd at least give it a crack or give it a try.
0: Yeah. You know what? I, to be honest, I was a pretty decent soccer player. Uh, I don't think I would have have been on the gold medal team from last (laughs) year. But, uh, you know, I played in the Premier League here in Manitoba and I loved playing soccer. I I didn't have the greatest endurance all the time. Like I was a striker, so that, you know, was good. But, uh, you know, I might have maybe, you know, continued to play soccer for a little longer than I did. I ended up not playing it because I, you know, sprained both my ankles and whatever else. And it was... I didn't want it to impact curling, which I could see me going places with. So uh, but, you know, in terms of any sort of other career, I probably would have gone further into broadcasting because that at the time when I was younger, that's kind of what I wanted to do was work in broadcasting and and maybe sports broadcasting. So I might have I might have gone a little more down that because I knew I knew early on that the news side of broadcasting was not my thing. I, you know, I
1: feel you court yeah, no.
0: trials and it just wasn't I was like nope nope this yeah. I'm too sensitive for this
1: so <laughs> I, I feel yeah. I was going I went to communications and I came out of that thing I want to be in PR or broadcasting but my parents are like you want to be like a Peter Mansbridge or a Paul Hunter I'm like good for them but it's it's just not for me right uh Jill someone had asked this on Twitter and I think it's a really good question so I'm just going to ask it because I'm going to take credit for this person's question but anyway here it is have there been moments in your career where you're kind of like, uh, like you've had lows and how did you bounce back from those lows?
0: Yeah. um, You know, going back to losing the trials for Vancouver. Right. Um, You know, that was a low, you know, there was a couple of Scotties in there where we lost finals or, you know, worlds where it was like, we were trying to get into the medals and didn't, and then didn't even win the bronze medal. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, there, you know, there certainly was lows and I think getting over it for me was always about actually processing it, like dealing with it and taking the time to, to deal with it, not just kind of sloughing it off and, you know, moving on type thing. It was like, okay, what, what happened and, you know, what is it, you know, what do I need to sort of process here so that I can park it and put it behind me and, and then move on and take those lessons forward. So that was part of the learning process though, too.
1: That's a good answer. Uh, let's take one more. This one's from Facebook. Uh, this person asked, what are some of your interests or hobbies or things that you like after curling? It feels like this is like a documentary it's like after curling. No.
0: Well, you know, spending time with my family, we have a seasonal campsite. So we spend a lot of time outdoors there and fishing in the summertime, uh, being with friends when I can, which has been a little sporadic over the last year and a half. And yeah doing some reading i love reading memoirs or autobiographies of athletes Um that's kind of about it i guess <laughs> no that's a
1: that's, that's a good one i want to ask you like when reading autobiographies of athletes like which ones kind of stand out to you or like ones that you kind of remember
0: oh uh, boy good question i actually haven't read one in a while but you know i've read marnie mcbean's uh katrina maidone colleen jones uh clara hughes you know I read Andre Agassi's and as much okay. as everybody think it like says his book is so amazing I it actually didn't click with me but that's yeah. fine. Yeah, the, and I mean, you know then I read like Elton John's, right? Like oh, yeah. you know that that was a good one. The guy's lucky to be alive with all the drugs he did. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know, I just like hearing people's and sometimes like with the athlete stories it's like like with Andre Agassiz, for example I felt like he spoke too much about exactly what happened on the court and like yeah. certain match points and things like that whereas I want to hear more about like the life side of it and how it impacted maybe your performance but
1: Yeah. Well I mean a good one like if you ever pick it up it's like I know we had to read it in school but it was like Theo or Theo Flurry's one cuz I was actually kind of entertained with that one cuz I've never really followed Theo Fleury's career. It's like, I get it. I get like the whole impact of it. I think the last time he tried out for the Calgary Flames, they added that into it as well. And that's kind of where I remember it from. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it was interesting because I think there's one point in it where he talks about like, you know, cocaine addiction or doing drugs and how like in even in New York, they would hire a private investigator to follow him around. I'm like, man, this is like FBI shit like you're getting into but like some of these books are really good like i list, i read a lot of sports broadcasting books and then they tell you stories of how they got into their career and i'm like that's that's great but you would have never imagined it right
0: yeah yeah that's uh, theo Flores was a good one actually yeah yeah
1: do you have any like plans to come out with, uh, I guess, like your own autobiography or your own book.
0: Somebody asked me that a while ago, and I never really thought of it. I, I feel like I needed to keep better track of certain things if I was going to do that. But <laughs> I guess yeah, you know see,
1: that that's what you should do, right? Like you you'd be like, listen, I was on this podcast with a Newfoundlander. He brought it up to me, and like I decided okay, I'm going to go back and listen to this interview, and then I'll just mark certain things down. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Jill Officer for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thanks for listening and good night.